if you don't maintain that passion, that fire for God personally, then it's replaced with the mechanics of the ministry you're doing. Welcome to the Shepherd Heart of Leader podcast, where we explore topics that help strengthen your ability to care for those under your leadership. In today's episode, we're going to talk about playing the long game. Now, leadership and life have many challenges, and so if you find yourself facing some difficult circumstances, lean into this conversation as Nate and I talk about some of our challenges and some of the insights we learned along the way. Welcome to today's podcast as we talk about longevity. 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 I got I probably try to avoid saying that word for the rest of the podcast, but <laughs> I'm like, got my cheat code on longevity. Longevity. Yeah, okay. That's it. In ministry. And what are some of the things that we've seen over the years of people that have knocked them out of ministry? So we'll start with that. And then how do you stay in ministry for the long haul? So yeah. some of the things we've seen is family problems, you know, whether yeah. it's a spouse ends up going off the deep end. We've seen that happen a few times. And, uh, or the kids really cause a lot of problems, whether it's in their choices that they make or even in health challenges can be some of the things that knock people out. What are some of the things that you've noticed? Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's not just ministry, but leadership in general, marriages in general can just go. And you're like, what happened? Well, it probably started happening years before what we're, we're seeing in front of us. Um, and I, I think that if you go underneath the surface, the why behind the eventual dissolving of a of a person's faith, of a marriage, of a passion for a ministry or whatever. I think it starts with uh, things we've talked about in earlier podcasts about our prayer life and staying connected to God. And really, um, things can replace that. So over time, um, I've seen people that they forget that the core of why they do ministry is their love for Jesus. And Jesus is the one that gave it to them in the first place. And whether it be um, wear and tear of the years or um, it be uh, events that come in that just derail them, um, they drift away from Jesus. If you drift from Jesus, you're in trouble. That's why, you know, when Jesus talked to the church in Ephesus in Revelation, he said, I have this against you that you've left your first love. You've forgotten your first love. You've gone away from your first love. And you might have all the other pieces, but you left your first love, that core passion, if you will. So um, I've watched people over time, uh, friends that I started in ministry with, uh, went to college with, some of the people that um, were peers in the youth ministry world when I was a youth pastor, all the way to other, other stations and roles. And what ends up happening is, is that um, over time, if you don't maintain that passion, that fire for God personally, then it's replaced with the mechanics of the ministry you're doing. And then, and then you're, you're frustrated with people because they're not helping you out and egocentric life can you know, slip in, narcissism, that kind of thing, and it becomes all about you. And when the church is doing good, you're doing good. And when church isn't doing good, you're not doing good. And literally almost it's almost like you become your own god if you're doing good then everything's great but if not and you know we're going to go through ups and downs in any part of our life and so we've got to have that consistency the relationship with the lord and i so i watch people drift from that i've seen people drift um from a a relational standpoint in their marriage um 
if anything, is going to have an impact on, especially for pastors, um, on their success publicly. It's going to be whatever happens in the home and in the relationship. And um, they're just real challenges. They're not even, it's not like good people and evil people. It's real challenges that every kind of person faces. So like when we were um, first having kids uh, and we had what, four kids and six and a half years, six and a half years. And, <laughs> and uh, at, we started off, you were the youth department admin. I was the assistant youth pastor and we did youth ministry together. But then we had David and you weren't around as much because you were taking care of him while I, I was doing a Wednesday night. Then we had Jeff and it was two kids and it was just really hard for you to even make it to youth events. Then we had three when Timmy came and it was like, he was just like slowly faded further and further into the backdrop. At least that's how you described it to me. And, and so then here I am having all this success quote unquote, on the youth ministry side of things. And people are talking about Pastor Nate and here you are taking care of the kids at home and it could feel like, like uh, it wasn't an equal reward, if you will. And I've watched some couples that went through that same type of process and slowly either the husband or the wife pulled away in the marriage and they began to um, have anger or bitterness at God or at their spouse or at their situation. And the fact that they just had no money during those years, we didn't have any money. And, uh, and all the factors of low finance, extra demands, no time to cultivate the marriage. And all the while, while you're being watched by others. Yes. And everybody's expecting you to be like the perfect whatever. You know, anywhere we go, um, I remember as our kids grew older, we would go on a Target, and every couple aisles, people would stop me, and our kids hated that. They, they hated, hey, somebody saw Pastor Nate. And uh, I was trying to be nice, and the people that were talking to me were trying to be nice, be but my kids or felt... Or just go anywhere for a little while. Yeah, my isn't... kids felt like the church got more of my attention than than they did sometimes. And so some of those pressures really, you know, worked their way on um, the desire to stay in it. I'd say I've, I remember when we were young in ministry, um, the founding pastor's wife would always talk about how your marriage is your passport to the pulpit. Mm. And so if you don't keep that going mm. well, everything else is, it disqualifies mm. you basically. Mm. And so that was something that, you know, I'd have in the my back dropping in my mind going, I don't want to wreck life for Nate and I don't want to wreck life for myself, but also just, you know, working through the tough stuff. I think uh, some of the things I've seen with people in ministry is like the gap of expectations and the lived reality and going, okay, how do we make it through this? And I think over the years, one of the things that I've discovered is just going, okay, I got to submit to the Lord and this is not forever. Like mm. every thing has a season. I think uh, we've seen, you know, for sure other people have financial problems and that, you know, makes, drives a wedge and creates problems to stay in ministry because they can't afford to, or they can afford to, but they don't want to be broke. And that becomes a hardship. Um, there's also times that I've seen where 
ministers or people, they have relational issues. So whether it's people on staff or maybe their first job, they worked for a pastor who was a narcissist and it became all about them. And so there's kind of like the hot topic lately of like the church hurt and why people are really uh, breaking out their faith and, you know, what is it, deconstructing their faith. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like a lot of times with the deconstructing of faith, it's kind of the sifting, you know, Mm -hmm. it's the dividing of the wheat and the tares and going, okay, you know, biblically, the Bible talks about at the end times that there's going to be a great falling away. So is this like the sifting of, are we really in or not? But, you know, for sure, people have some genuine concerns and there's been some people who've really experienced some poor treatment in the name of ministry. Yeah. So, you know, never to excuse that sort of thing, but. Yeah. Um, let me, let me just talk to that. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, why do people quit? Yep. It's other people sometimes, right? So how you're treated, overlooked, mistreated, maybe um, even in my our journey, um, there are opportunities for me to t- t- take offense. And so offense can really get in and you have to choose to not be offended if you're going to stay in the game. Even if you are unjustly accused or you're overlooked or mistreated, um, the heart of a shepherd is if you're going to stay in the game, you can't take offense. It's the bait of Satan. Yep. And if you take offense, it can really take you a long-term pathway of distrust, um, disloyalty. Um, when you're hurt, you feel, feel like you have a right to talk behind other people's backs sometimes. And if you do that, then God's not going to bless your journey either. So God is the one that promotes. And if you're in a state where you're stuck because you're offended, um, it could prevent your own development and staying in the journey. And we've watched a number of people have done that. We've had our own opportunity to, yeah. to battle that in our hearts. And, um, and I, I remember just taking some of those things to the Lord, going, Lord, why am I overlooked? Is there something wrong with me? Why does pastor like somebody else more than he does me? And why did he get to preach three times on a Sunday and I never did? And, you know, all of those kind of facets of insecurity. And I would say at the core of that, is insecurity because a secure person can handle any circumstance. Paul was able to say, I found the secret to success is being content in any and every circumstance. So I think, you know, even in our own faith formation, our capacity to to take the things that really bother us, take them to the Lord, and then also find ways to process that, to find a different way to get out of that kind of thinking because your only option can't be get bitter and it can't be ignore it. Yep. So like having trusted uh, mentors or leaders that you can talk to that know you're not coming to them to gossip, you're coming to them to process and gain wisdom. So I had like um, Dr. Anderson at North Central, the president of the school, while I was a, a youth pastor and then including when I of course worked at North Central, but I could process with him. And uh, he didn't, he didn't like, go, it's okay, boo-boo. He didn't like go, you know, it's all right. You, you know, yeah, you're right. You have a reason to to be angry and you are being, oh, you should do something else. He would go, well, buck up and take it, buddy. This is, this is real life. And yes, that's not right. But if you take care of your heart, God will take care of you. And I had, so I had some strong coach type figures that also I could vent with that didn't just pat me on the back and give in to my self-pity, but they enabled me to be strong in the middle of it. And I stayed in the journey. And instead of feeling like a victim, 
I became somebody that was strong in any and every circumstance. Now, I remember the one time that was a pivotal time for us uh, staying at Emmanuel when you were a youth pastor is you were speaking. We had good a number of people in the youth group, but then there was another youth pastor that was getting a lot of favor. So we're like, okay, he's your assistant going, is it time to hand the youth group over to him? Do we, is the Lord speaking? Are we trying to go somewhere else? And how, um, just maybe explain to the young leader, how yeah. did you sort through that, whether you should stay or go or yeah. what'd that look like? Yeah. And even at that time, um, some of my preaching was starting to grow and uh, we had an evangelist in for a camp I'll never forget this. And he came in, we went out to lunch, and he's like, you know, Nate, there's not a lot of evangelists out there anymore. Maybe God's calling you to be a youth evangelist. And it was right at that time that I was trying to, like, what's going on? Is God moving us and favors on somebody else, not on me? And and uh, so it was almost like this thing was dangled in front of me, and I was like, <sighs> and then somebody else offered a how to preach to to, to conferences as a youth speaker conference. And I was like, well, maybe that's God speaking that I should do that. And it wasn't. And all, all during that time is when I drove down to talk to Dr. Anderson. And I will never forget the conversation I had with him because it sounded so uh, like I didn't know how to start the conversation. I'm like, Dr. Anderson, I want to talk to you about something. I don't know how, where to start. And he said, well, just start talking. And I said, so I like what I'm doing. I'm not sure if my boss likes me. Uh, I think he likes my assistant better than he likes me. Things are going okay. I don't have as much passion as I used to have for when I started. And so maybe God is lifting the burden. You know, I'm like saying these words to him. And he sits back and he's like, well, Nate, that could be true. He said, in my observation of pastors out there, he said, senior pastors, about year number six or seven, they start losing some of their passion for where they're at. And it's not really they're losing their passion and God's lifting the burden or the call on them. It's just that now things are working well. They've been there long enough. Now people are doing what they th want them to do. And it doesn't take as much energy to do it. So youth pastors is probably about year number three or year four. And at that point, I was year number four as a youth pastor. And I remember him saying to me, he said, he said, if you hang in there and you just stick it out and you don't get any sensory kickback, it doesn't feel good. You might have the most fruitful year of your life next. And it won't feel as good as your first year. And, uh, and then he gave a story of his son who was in the, uh, training to be a doctor and then went into the military and, um, and had never been in a military uniform when he had graduated, but they automatically gave him an officer's uniform on his first day on the base. He's walking by soldiers and they stop and salute him. And he said it felt awkward because that had never happened to him in any other parts of his life. And he said, now, Nate, were they saluting my son or were they saluting the uniform? He said, because now my son as an officer had a bar on his sleeve that said, um, he he was worth it. He had reached that spot where he deserved honor. And he said, the reality was, is, is it's just the uniform. And then he went on to say, he said, you can't get addicted to, to the adrenaline of ministry. He said, uh, 
He said, when you started as a youth pastor, what was it like? And I started talking about, well, I was up all night. I was praying. I was working extra hard. I was going out to coffees and breakfasts and I was chasing everybody down and, and uh, giving extra effort and exhausted. And I could feel God moving and building and speaking to me. And, and, um, and he says, well, does it feel like that now? I said, no. I, and he said, well, how fruitful is your ministry? I'm like, well, we're a couple hundred more kids than we had, you know, when I started and, and things are going better. We got a leadership team and things are up and going. And other people are doing things now. We've trained them up and there's, there's multiplication and discipleship happening and all of that. And he said, but it doesn't feel the same way, huh? I said, no, it doesn't feel the same way. Um, he said, well, it's requiring less of your adrenaline and you're feeling like it's changed. It's not the anointing that's lifted. It's the adrenaline has gone down. And he said, you didn't need to not mistake adrenaline for anointing. So good. And, um, and learned that you can't be addicted to it. I think some leaders, some pastors get into something and they like the thrill of getting something off the ground. They like the, the effort and it's mixed with prayer and energy and they put everything they've got into it. And then when it begins to not feel the same way, they think God has lifted his anointing and it's not true. And so when Dr. Anderson talked to me about that, literally, literally in the next 18 months, I stayed on at the church. That assistant youth pastor ended up finding another church and God was blessing his ministry in another place. And our youth group doubled. And in 18 months, you remember that? And uh, I, you know, I stuck it out and I didn't feel better. I didn't feel like more anointed during that time. I just was faithful and I discovered that I needed not be addicted to the adrenaline, but to the anointing. I think some leaders back out and they quit too soon. They give up too quickly. That's really good. That's such a powerful testimony. I remember when that happened and it was persevering and it wasn't easy. We had little kids at that time, but we definitely saw the fruit on the other end. And Mm -hmm. so that wasn't probably your only time or our only time to, you know, take a Y in the road and go another direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk about another time that you were able to have another opportunity. I mean, opportunities always came, but another time maybe when you thought, well, Lord, are you moving us? And I think that was uh, sometime later from maybe it, gone to North Central and now we're trying to figure are we going to go back to the church world that kind yeah. of thing and yeah yeah yeah. so I always want to be faithful to the last thing God said until he moves me yeah. so that was always I don't know what I'm going to do next I'm just going to be faithful to the last thing he said and, until he moves me and so um, when he moved us to, to work at North Central it was me to work at North Central it wasn't me and you Jody so it was very different we weren't in it together in that sense. Um, and we kind of got our legs during that time because you grew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went on the school board during that time. You found other opportunities outside of my job domain. And um, our boys were growing. I was able to free up to coach and sports and um, be in the community. I remember um, you were on the school board running for elections and stuff. And people would introduce me as Jody Roosh's husband. And I love that season. But there was a point while I was at work and I was now a vice president and I oversaw admissions and financial aid and church relations. And it, it was very unlike what I did as a pastor. 
Um, my, I had more business meetings and I was involved in more, um, uh, education industry type things. And, and something inside of me, you know, I, I love preaching. So I, I continue to have opportunities to preach and outside of the school, I would be asked to speak in conventions and camps and churches. And when I would go, it felt so great. I was like, I'm back in this, you know, I was like, this is awesome. This is me. And, and uh, I called it coming up for air. <laughs> and I was underneath the water the rest of my career. And there was a tipping point at which I wondered, if is this God's permanent assignment? Am I going to be stuck here? And, uh, and I prayed about it, and I was willing to do whatever God asked me to do and not hug the uniform, not seeing my identity, identity in that particular uniform, but in the call of God, which transcended whatever I was doing in that one space. So I c- could be available to, for God to use me when I would travel and speak and in the school and anything else. And everybody saw me as a different person. Some people in the school saw me as a vice president. People out in churches and can, you know districts where I would speak, they would see me as this education guy, but he has a call of God in his life and they recognize the gift in that space. So I wasn't necessarily getting affirmation from people. I had to rely on only affirmation from God. And it was right about the time that I thought it was all done. I, was, I had been pursuing my doctorate and I thought, well, whatever, maybe I'm going to stay in the school world. And, uh, and I remember we were on a retreat and you had asked me a question. What was that question? Yeah. Uh, you're not going to go to North Central, are you? Is that one? Or Is you that... said, no, I was already working at North Central. Okay. You had asked me, would you think you'll ever pastor again? Yeah. And we've had opportunities in previous podcasts too to tell our story. Yeah. So, but that people. this is the point at which I could have just settled. Yep. And, and I think if I would have settled, that I would have maybe not had the kind of longevity that God wanted us to have. Meaning, now God was beginning to put a different, the very beginnings of a different burden for the future role. And it ended up being coming back to Emmanuel to be a lead pastor. But right in that juncture, I could have settled and everything around me said, that's what I should be doing. So I think, I think staying close to the voice during those seasons is really critical. Um, And so then we had to wait and then God did speak. I love how you've always said that, like, the calling of God is not to a destination, but it's to his voice and mm-hmm. kind of like this cell phone anal- analogy. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And how God will speak to us and get us to go one place and then he'll speak to us when we're that place. And I've really seen you live that out and you've helped me to live that out as well. And like several of the opportunities along the way we've had is like um, youth ministry job at another church back in the yeah. day. And it was like, is God calling us? And we didn't feel like God said no, but we didn't feel like God said go. Yeah. And your mentor, Pastor Benson, mm-hmm. back then had said, well, then that means no. Yeah. And so that was something that we kind of put in the toolbox along the way is like, if God doesn't say go or he doesn't say no, we're staying put to the last place he called us. Mm-hmm. I think another thing um, that I've watched you is just stay consistent. So even when things get hard and other people have opportunities or they'll come and I'm even watching it again now as there's more opportunities that 
come your way and people like, I feel like God wants you to do this. And you've got such that tight relationship with the Lord that you know his voice. And a lot of people can have good intentions where they try to steer you from one job to another and all about opportunity and the next thing, but say, nope, if God did not say go, I'm staying. And so I love that about you and about us. Thanks. I think there's other things along the way. Like, so we've stayed in ministry, the longevity, longevity, longevity (laughs) in ministry for like 30 years. Uh, Can't even believe I can say 30 years. So it's been a number of different roles. So it's youth ministry as assistant youth pastor. Then it was the youth pastor. Then it was a role at North Central. Then it was a VP role at North Central. Then it's the lead pastor at Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. And just looking at all the different opportunities we've had things along the way. And I think about even more recently during you know, we've had COVID and lockdowns and different situations. We saw a lot of pastors choose to transition their church, even people that are similar in age to us. And they're like, they're calling it quits and, you know, going to go do the consulting thing or, you know, take, which, you know, if that's what God's calling them to do, it's great. But how did you navigate some of those challenges where you've got people leaving the church because they're misunderstanding things? You've got people who are scared because of, you know, the diseases and the things that are going on in the news, people who find themselves aligning politically. And how did you stick to ministry and persevere through that time? Yeah. Well, that's a lot of things, but I I think it goes back to where my security is in. Um, Insecure people have to cover or do something or it's fight or flight, but secure people stay where they're supposed to be until they're asked to move. And I'm just on assignment from God. And I need to stay there all the way to the end until the whistle blows, if you will, like in, in a football play, and you play until the whistle blows. Um, I need to stay there until then. And when it's tough and when it's hard, I go back to who called me. Who put me in this place in the first place, you know? And has he released me? And if not, I need to talk to him about it. I need to ask for help. Um, it doesn't mean I haven't had moments where I felt like quitting or feel like maybe the mantle has lifted or if people, it can feel like people are leaving you. So maybe you're not a good leader. And uh, I could just go back to God and go, well, God's going to use me as a broken leader until he reassigns me and I'll accept his assignment. And that's submission, right? So I'm submitted to the Father, just like Jesus when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, when he, he said, you know, Lord, if you will, can this cup pass? And if not, nevertheless, your will, not my will be done. That's how I have to live. And I literally stay in that zone. Uh, the events around us have, it's kind of like the ground underneath the feet of pastors has eroded and it's shifting and it's moving. The commitments of people to church have, it's not where it was in the last three years. It's like sped up this kind of um, occasional commitment, um, sort of committed to church. It's just another one of the many things that people do during their week and their lives. It's not a priority at the Santon level as it used to be. And um, and it's costing people. It's costing them their kids, the next generation. Um uh, my my predecessor, or the founder of the church, Mark Denyes, used to preach against youth sports all the time. And I couldn't understand what he was saying. I get it now. 
because it's become a religion in culture. And I'm, I'm all for sports. I coached all of our kids in basketball and football, but I'm watching as in the sporting world, Sunday's not sacred, Wednesday's not sacred. And so parents now are Uber drivers to take their kids all over the place. And then if they can fit church in, they will. And they're exhausted and all of that. And I'm watching that as a pastor. And then we hit COVID and we hit George Floyd and we hit the election all in one year. And it was like, um, it was a collision of storms. And when that happened, some of the things that had been happening all along came to the surface. So it wasn't like started then, it had already begun. And um, I realized that I was not the only shepherd in people's lives. Um, People were listening to their favorite podcast or news person or prophet or whoever it might be. And then they were measuring that person who they would listen to for 10 hours a week to my 30 minute message on a Sunday. And uh, frankly, I wasn't their shepherd. And that's a huge insecure moment, if you will, when you start realizing and as emails come in and people are leaving, and they're mad because I didn't say what their leader wanted me to say. And I can remember like the penultimate moment for me uh, in emotion was uh, we had uh, experienced the lockdown in Minnesota and we reopened church and then a certain select group of people came back and they're like, finally, I wasn't bowing to Caesar anymore because I reopened the church doors, even though there was a $25,000 fine for each service that would have been open during that time. And I was like, hey, we're going to challenge our people to have church. And we still did online and all of that. But the people came back. And then there were a group of people that stayed home because they didn't feel like it was safe to go to church. And within a month and a half, then the governor comes out with a mask mandate. And uh, and the people that had come back when we reopened were not going to wear masks. And so we had a choice to make because they were asking every public organization to have a masking requirement. So we put it out there. We weren't going to have anybody leave the church if they didn't have a mask on. But we said, okay, I'm not going to go to jail over masks. We're still going to worship and that kind of thing. Well, the very people that came back in June left in August because they were mad about the mask thing. And then a group of people that had been staying home came back to church. And now I was pastoring a whole nother group of people. And meanwhile, we don't know who's really with us and all of that kind of thing. So all that to be said, that's why a lot of pastors went through just frustration. And were you speaking enough on issues in the street or not enough? Um, and then I was getting in my inbox uh, these videos of prophets and pastors in other places in the country that were speaking to us. And people were p- in our church were passing them to me as if I needed to listen to that. And I was done. And I remember I just like, I don't want to be bullied into preaching somebody else's message. I only want to preach what God has called us to preach here. So in the middle of my message on that Sunday, it just came out of me. And I was like, listen, I am a shepherd that will give an account for every person in our church. And I'm going to preach with a word and what I hear God saying. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm not going to preach somebody else's message. And if I don't want anybody else to send me any more DMs 
with videos from some prophet, uh, some pastor in Kentucky, who's not going to stand before the throne on your behalf and have to preach his message. I'm done with that. And I, at the moment I was like, I'm risking losing anybody that's left in the church. And, uh, and our people stood up and clapped. And so I think even the people that disagreed with me, cause I had, you know, stood my ground, at least said something. And, and, uh, so I remember the emotion of that. And many of my friends just grew tired of that relentless pressures and expectations. And meanwhile, who's coming back? And, um, many churches, even to this day, are, you know, people have left and nobody's come back and the church numbers are down and their budgets are down. To God be the glory, we've we've reached that number and and people have come, but I don't think it's the same people who have come back. It's new people and God is building his church. And I've just realized that I'm not responsible to make our church perfect. I'm just responsible to shepherd the church. And we'll go after the sheep, and if they refuse us, we'll bless them. Hopefully they land in another church. And then we'll pastor the flock that God has given us, not the one we wish we had. And if we pastor those people, I can stay in that zone. So for longevity, I've got to stay in my lane. i got to remember what God has called me to do and what he hasn't called me to do. And if I stay in that lane, then I can survive whatever. And uh, it's not about me. I. I think about, you know, you say it's not about you. And sometimes as the wife along the journey, sometimes I can feel like, well, when is it ever my turn? You know, and Mm. I kind of said that before, but it's really easy to get sucked into all of the scrutiny and all of the other things going on in life. And I feel like when you're in ministry, like my sister will say it this way, it's like you go into the meat grinder and come out sausage on the other end. It's like Mm. there's a process of you know, change and dying to yourself and things that um, ministry does, or, you know, if there's a clink in your armor, it's going to come out with ministry because there's just so much pressure coming from every side of you. And I think about in our own relationship in our lives, I know there was a few times that stuff that was going on with me or the kids made you maybe want to quit. I know when we had our third son and I had a bout of insomnia and it was in the summer and I think you had like 12 weddings in a row and you were a youth pastor. And, you know, I, I was not able to sleep. I had all this crazy hormone stuff going on. And you're like, am I going to have to quit my job? And we made it through, persevered. It was tough, you know. We had a lot of help, though. We had a lot of help. That Like helped. Marcia Olson came in, yep. the clutch, and some other people did that took care of the baby so you could sleep. and. Yep. So work through that. But then that was just like one thing. And then later on in life, you know, there's challenges of going, okay, Nate, you know, we're back at Emmanuel. You have your place. What's my place? And Mm -hmm. as you're transitioning a church, there can be pressures on you trying to help your spouse find where I fit into the church. And, you know, we can. And if mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah. So, you know, not that we've got it together. We don't. Mm -hmm. But. Maybe we just pull back the curtain a little bit and just yeah. share how we navigated that season that was a little bit tough there yeah. in ministry and how to stick with it. Yeah. So. We had the backdrop of of pastoring teenagers, me finishing my doctorate. On the church side of things, we were doing a building program, capital campaign, so it never slowed down. And, and it really hit you hard. Yeah, I was working. I felt like the Lord said to work a, 
part-time job. I worked a job somewhere else, not at the church, kind of give you space. And I felt like, you know, I've got this leadership in me and I want to, I've been on the school board for years and was used to being a leader in the community. I come back to the church. Church wasn't really ready for that. And maybe Mm -hmm. in reality or truth be told, maybe you weren't ready for me to have that position. Mm -hmm. Remember back in the time when you were at North Central and you were Switzerland, where you're like the neutral person that everybody came, staff people would come and they'd go to churches from various churches, get counseling going, how do I navigate this difficult situation? And so many times it ended up being, they were having struggles with the pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. So you've got a little bit of that in your backdrop Mm -hmm. going, I don't want Jody to get scrutinized. I don't want me to be scrutinized. Like how do we find this safe place Mm -hmm. for my wife? And, uh, Dr. Anderson, talking to him as we came back, he's just like, Jody, what's your role going to be when you come to Emmanuel? I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, don't do anything. You don't want to have a bullseye on your back. Like, take a break. Don't do anything. At and, first. Yeah. At first. And yeah. so I did, you know, take a break. And during that time, God used a boss that was pretty tough on me to just to reveal some things in my life that I needed to deal with. Yeah. And I knew, didn't know then that what I do now, that God was helping me and preparing me to do more ministry here at the church. And so... Yeah, talk about that because um, the way you're wired, you work really hard yep. to be perfect. You work hard to be perfect and for compliments. Like who needs money when you got affirmation? So right. like if people say positive things, you know, I... I I always worked my way up in whatever job I had. Mm-hmm. I would work really hard and get promoted. And I ended up landing in this job where my boss didn't like me. And I'm like, this is foreign. I didn't have a situation where I had a boss ever that I couldn't please. Mm-hmm. And so went through some times where I'm like, finally looked at you and I'm like, Nate, I think there's something wrong with me. And you're like, what? I go, I think I need to go to counseling. I've yeah. got this boss who is just like, hard to please. And I've got all this anxiety. She shamed me a couple times in the office or whatever, but yeah. it was like God was using it. And I'm like, okay. And so you're like, sure. Yeah. So we went and found a counselor who specializes in ministers and I talked yeah. to him and then, you know, I was thinking, just give me some ways to deal with my stress. And he gave me some thoughts and then I'm like, okay. And then he asked me a little bit more about my background and my life. And he goes, oh, you're going to be here a while. And I'm like, no, I just need, no, you're going to need to be here a while. And so you know, through the next year, I worked through some stuff that I didn't even know I had issues, insecurities, some things that needed healing in my heart. And that really helped me to be able to step into places of leadership when God opened up the door later. But through that time, it's not easy when you got one spouse kind of reflecting and looking at their lives. Cause all of a sudden it's like, you know, you talk to the counselor on Thursday and Friday is like this big explosion of emotions that (laughs) you got to here and handle and unload. And so going through that time, and then I got to a point where, you know, it's like, there was so much going on. I'm like, Nate, this, this might be okay for you, but this is not a pace that I can live at. I can't handle all of these things going on at the same time. And then maybe you talk about how you handle that time. First of all, what you're describing, I think, happens with everybody in different ways. Our family of origin, the way we see the world, the way we process stress is a result of things before we ever got married, right? And then we carry that into marriage, carry that into ministry or a career. And when that comes in, it kind of takes a back seat to all the things we're doing. We're having kids. We're establishing a new career. We don't pay attention to some of those things. Then you get to a spot of conflict or a fallout or 
a meltdown or something, and it comes to the surface. And um, it's really important when it does come to the surface to do something about it. If I, if I broke my arm, my physical arm, um, I would want to go to the doctor who knew how to fix my arm. I wouldn't just go, ah, it's okay. It'll heal eventually because uh, that could actually heal in an incorrect way, cause lifetime pain. That's the same to be true of our inner world, our emotional, mental world. And um, I think sometimes because we live in the spotlight or we live in a glass world of leadership that we don't want to deal with that um, or we th think that somehow it's going to harm our public persona if we have a, a, a crack in the glass, so to speak. So um, what we discovered in that process, and you took the first step, so bravo, I'm really grateful because when you stepped into that, um, you began to deal with your own heart, your own world. And I had been all along in the marriage recognizing that you were frustrated. And I always thought that you were always frustrated only with me. Like I did something wrong. So I would be in a space where, you know, you would be frustrated. I'm like, I'll just apologize to get over the pain of whatever we're in. But me apologizing didn't fix whatever you were feeling on the inside. And I needed to, I, this when you took the courageous step to go to counseling, um, what ended up happening is you began to filter out what was you and what was me and what was really going on. And then you developed boundaries. And so um, you thought, hey, you had to run at my pace. And on the other side of it, I had some issues where I would not pay attention to my own needs, so everything always got a yes, and I would run my life to the limits, and I would stay up too late, and I would get up too early, and I would take on more than I should have, and and I thought, well, I can handle it, um, and God tried to to um, wake me up through several episodes. I had a grand mal seizure at one point that meant that I needed to have at least seven hours sleep a night, which really helped us. Yeah. Um, and I learned that I was not the Messiah, that I wasn't the superhero that could do everything. Um, but I still had that kind of wiring in me. So even when we went back into pastoring, I kept adding on new challenges and I just had faith, we can do this. And you were silent. And then when you went through that moment where you went to counseling, now all of a sudden some of those hidden frustrations or worries or just fatigue came to the surface that um, became very helpful because I had to begin to change. And it really what initiated my change in that journey was when you wrote a letter. So describe what you, you wrote. I just basically said that I did not marry you for the things that you could do that I married you because I wanted to be with you and spend time with you, not for all these great accomplishments. Yeah. And uh, just there was times I, you know, you'd say you were working really hard and trying to achieve stuff and couldn't say no. Probably my backdrop drop was being forgotten. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of going, hey, don't forget me. You know, you got married too. It's not just ministry. It's, you know, you got a wife. And I think when we talk about longevity, did I say Longevity. Right? Longevity. Oh, in ministry, see, maybe by the end of this, I'll get this right. Uh, it's really having to deal with our yesterdays, our past, and going, you know what, I'm committed to the Lord enough that I'm going to stay committed to you even when it's hard. Mm -hmm. And by staying committed to the Lord and committed to you and really doing the hard work of 
working on ourselves and going, we're on the same team really makes all the difference. Like I look now and going, gosh, you know, we've been married 29 years and I have the marriage now that I always dreamed of, but it mm. took decades to get there, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. And what, what you did when you wrote that letter is one, it helped me cause I had to deal with, uh, apart from you, I had to go away and read the letter and it was painful because in that it revealed to me the things that I'd hurt you. And I didn't realize how deep I had hurt you. And your need was to be noticed and wanted and apart. And my actions were showing you that I was overlooking you or forgetting you and leaving you behind. Even though in my brain, I wasn't doing that. I was home all the time. But when I was home and I was working on my doctorate, I was home, but I had my laptop out. And that said certain things to you that I wasn't with you, that I wasn't noticing you. And I think it said things to our kids too. So it forced me to look inwardly and own my own junk. And then I started going to counseling. So it's, it's your, your courageous action led to a, an inward change for me. And when I started going, um, what I backtracked to was kind of my journey. And growing up, we lived in uh, five different states, 21 different houses. And I was a survivor, and I learned to survive in any and every circumstance. But th that also meant that I didn't pay attention to my needs, that I didn't need anything, and I never um, that I could handle any circumstance. I could survive, survive the worst of circumstances. And so as I was in that kind of early formation part of my life, I carried it through. And so... I wasn't even paying attention to my needs. I wasn't paying attention to what my self-care, my soul care needed to be. And so I had to go on a journey as well, which meant that I had to begin to make some changes um, for what got my yes and what didn't get my yes and how I slowed down and spent time with you. And, um, and this is all while I'm still preaching every Sunday and still hearing from God and all of that, but we're on a journey. And I think, you know, I've watched some of our friends who, um, and not close friends now, but people that over time, they, they didn't pay attention to their needs. They didn't pay attention to their inner emotional world or to their marriage. And then they pay the price later on. And then, you know, the, the church may have grown, but the marriage ended. Um, and what was it worth? You know, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Well, I would say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your family? And I think, I think that that's, that's the reality. So for us, we stayed in the game because we dealt with the hard stuff even later on in our journey, and it's made it all that much better. Um, and then I think our kids is something we should talk about. Just um, we love each of our sons and we care for them, but they're their own individual, and they have to go through their own journey. How did we, how did you handle some of their choices over time and uh, how did it help you stay in the game longevity wise? It's, it's really hard because when you're in ministry, you want your kids to love the church as much as you do. And the reality is they don't, you know, uh -huh. they, some of them might, but it's like, they can look at it too and go, they're individuals. They love God, but they may not be passionate about your career because yeah. they'll see it more as a job. Some of them than anything else, no matter how much you want to 
gloss it over and say, God has called us to do this. This is such a privilege. And they're like, this is not always feel that way to me. Yeah. And so being able to lean in to them, teach them God's word, teach them the value of church, whether it's your job or not. I know there was a season when you were a youth pastor and then we were at North Central. My neighbor looked at me and said, are you guys going to go to church as much as you did now that Nate's not a pastor? And I'm like, well, yeah, I think so. Because I, I wanted our kids to see that we go to church not because it's just dad's job, but it's because of what we and so I'm grateful that we did that, yeah. you know, that we kept that rhythm of, no, you're going to go to youth group and you're going to be involved in church, even if we're not pastoring at that moment. Yeah. And God knew because it helped later. Yeah. Even when we did like traveling basketball yep. in other cities, we would find a church in that city. We made it a priority for our kids. Yep. So it made it less about your job and then more about, about our, faith. our yeah. faith. And so, but there was a season, you know, where the kids would get picked on. So, you know, they went through, a, you know, a decade where they weren't pastor's kids. And then all of a sudden they show up in school and they're pastor's kids and people start coming to the church. And so they get, they got a little picked on. That was hard. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, throughout the time, just knowing that their individuals, it really helped improve my prayer life. That's where I found my secret place praying because of the challenges, but knowing that God's got them. And, yeah. and then when they hit upper high school and young adult phase, we had to shift into playing the long game yeah. and not get overly sensitive about bad decisions that they may have made because the, they were working their way towards independence on their own. And the challenge even in our marriage was to balance one another out. Um, you would process your fears about what what they are doing is is this a downward spiral? And I would say we're playing the long game, honey. We just got to believe in them for the long haul. I'd rather them make mistakes while they're around us than later on. And we would talk about how we had a picture and a vision for them in the long haul. I think um, our kids can derail us though in ministry if we let it. And um, there's a there's a tension to manage in that because we do need to pay attention to our family and our kids. But if the enemy gets the idea that he can get us distracted just by, by one thing going on in the home, he'll keep giving more of those opportunities to us. Yeah. So we had to do, kind of draw a boundary and say, devil, you're not going to divert us from what God has called us to do and pay attention to our kids. Yep. It's kind of both. And I remember Shirley Dennis founding pastor's wife used to always say that the enemy will come after your marriage. And if he can't get into your marriage, he'll go after your kids. And so just paying attention to that, she's like, we had challenges, she'd say, with her kids. They gave us gray hairs at time, but they never took us out of ministry. And uh, that during those seasons where the kids were really challenging, I would meet with her once a week. And so I think that's kind of one of the themes that I'm hearing mm -hmm. from you and even in my own life, having other mentors, having people in ministry, being able to lean in and get help and wisdom and counseling, whatever it takes from godly people who really have been there before us, really, I think, helped us make it for the long haul. Yeah. And we've had to chase them. Yep. So it's not like people just come to us and say, I want to be your mentor. Um, it's us be the ones that initiate it and go after people, make the phone call ask for help, or process with someone else. I do think that's a huge key, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the conversation today. If you are new to the Shepherd Hearted Leader Podcast, we encourage you to follow or subscribe. We love hearing from you, so feel free to comment and share this podcast with others. Until next time, keep leading well.